Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Welcome to episode two of the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from all over the world. Joining me today in the conversation is my co-host, Phil Dark. We hope that you guys had a chance to listen to our first episode. If not, please go ahead and click over and listen. It's just a chance for you to hear um, about who Phil and I are, a little bit about our backgrounds and why we are drawn and compelled to be involved in orphan care. But you also are going to hear a little bit about why we decided to start this podcast and just the the issues surrounding uh, orphans and vulnerable children around the world. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into the conversations that we were able to have with different leaders, different people that are doing this work around the world, to hear about the difficult issues, to hear about what they're thinking about them, how they're struggling through them, how we're able to struggle through them together, how we can work together to do this work, which is so difficult, and really to be thinking at deep levels about these things, but not just think about them and leave it there, but to really be hearing from people about how we can think through these issues and then put it into practice, Mm -hmm. because that's really where the rubber meets the road. Absolutely. And we would love to connect with you guys. And so you can connect with us at thinkorphan.com, and we're going to have our show notes listed there. You'll be able to to find links to books like our first guest that you're going to hear from today has several books and so those will be listed as links in our show notes but we also have a chance for you to connect with us on Facebook at Think Orphan and just would love to hear any questions you may have any comments um, just something maybe you learned that you hadn't thought through when you have listened to the podcast and the interview that Phil's going to do and you can also email us with questions at thinkorphan.com at info at thinkorphan.com Yeah, and I really welcome, and not only welcome, but I would urge you to be uh, sending those questions in, sending the comments in, because we will be able to answer those questions on on certain occasions. We'll be able to ask the people that we're doing the interviews with to answer those questions. Uh, We won't always be able to guarantee that, but often we'll be able to do that. And we will definitely take note of all the comments. And also, if you can rate the show, rate it on iTunes, That's something that helps us tremendously. It helps the show get out there. It's really the way that people hear about the podcast and how iTunes decides where to put uh, the podcast on its on its uh, on its page and on its site. So I definitely uh, look forward to hearing your comments, uh, reading your comments and your questions um, when you're able to send them in. So Phil, tell us about our first guest. Yeah, so as you said, it's Jed Medefin, and and he is the president of Christian Alliance for Orphans. He's also written several books, as you said, Upended being one of them. He wrote uh, Becoming Home, which was part of the Frame series the Barna Group did, which is a fantastic quick read. It's probably 80 pages Mm -hmm. or so, which, you know, you can read it in one sitting. Jed and I were able to just talk through some of the tough issues. We were to talk through how some of the words, some of the terms aren't defined well mm-hmm. in orphan care and how important that is to the conversation. We mm-hmm. can't really talk about things well and with uh, a civil, you know, to have a civil dialogue with between people if you don't really know what the words mean that you're speaking to, mm-hmm. and, to and from each other. The other thing, one of the other things that really struck me with our conversation was just how he was able to put into four categories really the advocate cycle, mm-hmm. so to speak. And you'll hear about that uh, in the in the interview. It's, and it's just something that he he has a way that he can uh, take these really difficult 
concepts and bring them down to a level that just make them so easy to understand. And that probably came from a lot of his background on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, but also he has a personal connection to this stuff that that is you know beyond a head knowledge mm-hmm. and it goes to the heart knowledge, which I think allows him to connect with people in, a, in just an incredible way. Great. Well, guys, we're going to get to the interview. And remember, connect with us and let us know any questions you may have. Well, Jed, it's great to have you here this morning. Thanks, Phil. Good to be together. And uh, Jed, you're not only um, the leader of Christian Alliance for Orphans, but I'm uh, blessed to be able to call you friend. And I look forward to this uh, conversation a whole heck of a lot. Um, Well, before we get into kind of the meat of the conversation, uh, Jed, I just want you to be able to share with the listener just a quick version of, of, of your story, just uh, who you are, how you got involved in orphan care, and how you ended up as the leader of Christian Alliance for Orphans. Mm. Well, you know, I grew up uh, in just a wonderful Christian family in Central California, and of course, I uh, often growing up and telling my testimony thought of that as kind of a boring testimony. You know, I didn't have any prison time or, or major catastrophes. And, and at times I felt embarrassed about that. And, and now I think especially working with so many uh, precious kids and adults who grew up without consistent loving families, um, I just realized what an amazing blessing it is to have a mom and a dad who love each other, who love the Lord, and who, you know, even though they weren't perfect, they were uh, they were the real deal. They were consistently seeking God and seeking to make Him real in their lives and in their kids' lives. And so my brothers and I were just so blessed in that. And, um, and and growing up, that was what I wanted my life to be. I wanted to live for things of eternal consequence and for the good of other people and for the kingdom of God. And um, and so, you know, there are a lot of threads that went into that and, and ultimately led to the work I'm doing now. But w- one of the biggest was right after college, I was planning to go to law school, had actually been accepted to, to a great school. Everything was lined up. But talking with a lot of people who are 10 years down that road, so few of them loved their work and felt purposefulness in it. And I, and I definitely think you absolutely can do some great things in the field of law. But I ultimately decided to defer law school for a year and had three great friends. And we spent that first year after graduating with some amazing Christian people in different parts of the world who were just really living out their faith in vibrant ways in Central America, in Russia, in Africa, in Southeast Asia. And um, many of them were really serving kids who didn't have families, whether uh, orphans or, or other vulnerable children. And, and I'll tell you, Phil, even though I ended up going into the political world after that and spent many years working in the State House in Sacramento, working in, in uh, Washington, D.C., the, so many of those kids that I spent time with um, in, in Central America and in Russian orphanages and, and street kids in, in India and, and other places, they just stayed wedged in my heart. And so many years later, it really sprang up in a lot of different ways, including my wife and I choosing to adopt and uh, work I got involved with in, in government that, that involved orphans and vulnerable children and foster youth. And then ultimately, the, the privilege of having this role serving with the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Wow, yeah, that that's uh, an interesting path to, to get where you get. And I, I definitely can relate to that idea of not necessarily being fulfilled uh, in the work of law. As I, I practiced for eight years myself, and while I learned a ton, it just was never what I was quite supposed to be doing long term. And so uh, that's interesting. You, you learned a lot earlier than I did in the process, but uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, as I'm sure you wouldn't trade your experience for the world. Um with with Christian Alliance for Orphans, as you're now you're now the the leader of Christian Alliance for Orphans, president I believe is the official title, 
And uh, for those who don't know, give a give an overview of what Christian Alliance for Orphans actually does and what the scope of the alliance is, because I see it's, it's a whole lot more than the summit that it happens every year, and that's what most people that's the exposure most people have to it. So share with us uh, the scope of of Christian Alliance for Orphans. Absolutely, Phil. It you know it it started before me ten years ago or so. Uh, just a group of Christian leaders saying. Uh, to each other, we really sense that God wants to call his people to step up for orphans, step up for foster youth. He wants the church to be the primary answer for kids that don't have families. And uh, and so these leaders came together. Some were already involved with this work. Some, some were in other aspects of ministry or leadership, but all just really shared that sense, a desire to labor together, to call the church to be the answer for, for kids that don't have families. And so this first gathering really became the, the seeds of the summit that now has been uh, growing every year since, as well as this community of organizations that, as, as they said at that first gathering, hey, let's leave our logos and egos at the door and join in a vision that's larger than any one of us. And, and that's really you know what, what has happened over the past decade is a lot of Christian ministries that are doing great work with kids in a lot of different places are also joining together in this broader vision to inspire the church and then to equip the church to effectively care for kids that uh, are growing up in, in vulnerable situations, both in the U.S. and around the world. And of course, it takes a lot of different expressions. It's the annual summit, as you mentioned, where all of these leaders and newcomers come together to really grow and learn together. But it's monthly webinars. It's content online that's regularly provided. It's the annual Orphan Sunday campaign. It's research and evaluation and papers that are put out, white papers that describe issues, help people come to a deeper knowledge. So it's it's really grown into something very compelling. And I, I just feel privileged to get to be a small part of it all. Hmm. In one of your recent talks, you, you said something that really struck me, and I, and I think it's in the context of this idea that, you know, not only can we not do this alone, not only can, does, it, does there need to be this alliance of people that are collaborating and working together to get all this done, but in the midst of all that we're doing um, in orphan care, you said that we need to talk about and we need to really embrace both the beauty and the brokenness in connection with the orphan crisis. Can you just give some uh, tangible examples of, of the beauty of orphan care today as you've seen it in your position? Yeah, well, you know, I, I would say, Phil, there, there may be nothing more beautiful on earth than seeing a child who has experienced trauma, neglect, uh, hurt, has, has experienced the world without the love and protection that parents provide and so has ex experienced wounds through that um, coming into a place of safety of love and embrace and nurture and then beginning to thrive as a result of that. And I, you know, I've gotten to know many of these kids and just getting to, to, to hear their stories and walk that road with them. Um, I think of a young woman uh, who, who lived many years on the streets of Ukraine and, um, you know, no, knew terrible things there and, and survived living in the sewers and, and was then eventually brought into a loving Christian family. And the way she describes the, the hurts of the original uh, experience of her life and yet that sense of healing and wholeness and what it felt to both know the unconditional love of a family and the unconditional love of her Heavenly Father, 
Um, when you hear those stories and you see those things happening, you see the way that it changes the lives of these children and those who have embraced them and church communities and entire um, broader areas where they, they see these things happening. I, I just don't think there's any more vibrant expression of God's heart and of the kingdom of God breaking forth than those types of things. That's great. I'm sure you, there's so many stories behind that, too. Um, and on the brokenness front, so you, t- you say we've got to talk about both the beauty and the brokenness. Um, from your perspective, in that regard, what, what are two of the most challenging issues that the orphan care movement faces today? And I know there's a whole lot of them, but if, if you just had two that you want to talk about today, what, what would those be? Yeah, well, you know, and, and by talking about the brokenness, you know, what I mean by that, Phil, is that as as we're out there, people like you and I, you know, who are passionate for these things and who who rightly tell the stories of lives transformed, of kids whose, whose lives are changed forever, of families who have been changed for the better through adoption and through coming close to these needs. We also need to talk about the hurt and the complexity. We need to talk about the fact that when we come close to children who have known great hurt, we will taste some of that hurt as well. Whether we're adopting, or whether we're fostering, whether we're mentors, whether we're serving in other countries, if we're getting close to these broken places, some of that that broken glass, in essence, will will get into our hands as well, and it will it will hurt. And so, we, we when we're inviting people into this space, we need to talk frankly about both of those. And so, uh, for instance, when you know when we're when we're thinking about the U.S. foster system and and the great things that can happen when Christians get involved there, we also need to talk about how difficult it can be to work through that system, a system of overwhelmed social workers, a system with uh, that's that's often underfunded for, for the goals that it sets out to create, and it's and it's also um, just I- incapable of delivering love and nurture. It needs loving families, and so you you just wade into this broken mess. And not only is it hard to, to love these kids who've experienced hurt, but it becomes really hard to just wade through the system. And we need to talk about that. We need to talk about how hard it can be, the frustrations, the ways that we need to have fellowship and community with a church body that'll walk the road with us. Um, and, and then we can say the same thing internationally. You know, when we're talking about uh, trying to help kids that are coming from very, very broken family situations and we're trying, our goal would be if we can reunify them with their biological families, we want to do that. That's, that would be the ideal. And yet so often seeing that some of these biological families are just so broken and there's sexual abuse and histories of, of drug and alcohol addiction, all these things, it becomes so tangled. Um, that, that we can despair. And so we, we need to speak frankly, both of the beauty of redemption and wonderful things that are happening, but also of the difficulty and complexity along the road so that we're well prepared for that uh, from the very get-go. Yeah, no, and it, this work is so challenging. And I think one of the other challenges that we face, I mean, you and I have talked about this, is it, it really stems from the fact that you know, you, you mentioned some things in there, family reunification. We talk about strengthening families. We talk about, you know, even the word orphan, that, 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 that there's these terms that often we speak, but we're not necessarily sure, like, what everybody else is thinking when they're saying it. And, and there are some unclear definitions, some unclear terms, such as the word orphan, for instance. That's a word that's used um, as if we know what everyone is talking about. But as you know, and as I know, that word uh, means a lot of different things to different people. And so in that context, um, how important is it for us involved in orphan care to discuss these issues, to bring clarity to terms and issues that are ill-defined? 
Um, and what has CAFO done in the past? What is CAFO doing uh, to make this happen? Well, I really agree with you, Phil. You know, if, if, if you set out to address a need, if you've misdiagnosed that need, you're, you're, the solutions you're going to bring are almost certainly going to be misguided, and they, they're, they're certainly going to be ineffective and very likely could even make things worse. And so really the, the first step in, you know, in engaging any need is rightly understanding the nature of that need, and that's certainly the case when we're talking about orphaned and vulnerable children. And as, as you pointed out, often there's some equivocation in, in how we use or, or understand these various terms. And, it, and, and like you said, it starts with the term orphan. You know, often most people think of an orphan as a child that doesn't have a mom and a dad that is kind of facing the world completely alone. Whereas UNICEF has adopted a definition that says any child that has lost one or both parents. So, in fact, a child who's lost just one parent is, is technically considered an orphan. Um, and so, you know, that child, of course, that ideally you can help both that child and their surviving parent, typically a widow, but sometimes a widower. Uh, help them thrive together. Um, that's, you know, about 85% of children termed orphans would, would fit into that, um, larger than 85%. There's still, though, uh, however, about 17.6 million children who have lost both parents, kind of fit the typical definition of orphan. And so, of course, often they have extended family members that could love and care for them. And so then you get into a third category of, of children that sometimes are considered social orphans, or there's, there's other terms as well, but that really are, are growing up without the love and nurture and protection that parents are supposed to provide. They may have both parents alive or none, um, but, but what they really need is they need some external adult to step into their life and provide the protection and nurture and love that parents are supposed to provide. That's that's what the biblical call to care for the orphan, to care for the fatherless is, is all about, is the child that's growing up without the provision and protection that parents are, are supposed to provide. Uh, when that's not happening, the church is called to be that for those kids. And I think in that, when we get in the this messiness, so to speak, of of real relationship, of really coming into situations and trying to figure out what's best for the kid, right? That's where you, you, you have this quote in, a, in a, another talk that you gave, and I, I just absolutely loved it. You said, there's a fundamental truth in this work that if we dare come close to the world at its most broken, we may see some success. But we most certainly will see errors and unintended consequences and outcomes that are far, far less than we'd hope for them to be. Wherever we serve, whatever our motives, we will find error and unintended consequences and outcomes that are far less than we'd hoped. So in the midst of that, what, what do we do with that? What do we do with that tension? What do we do with that difficulty um, to, uh, of the work that we're working in? Yeah, well, I, I agree with you. It's so, so critical that those of us who are setting out into this, you know, especially young people who have, have become inspired, who have felt a call from God to, to, to work uh, on behalf of justice and mercy in this world, um, you know, to understand from the, the get-go what you what you just expressed that that reality, um, and and you know, Phil, it's it's certainly not just Christians who who run into these difficult realities. You know, I, I worked for many years in Washington D.C., and I think uh, the USAID and the UNICEF worlds are full of people who who set out with with bright eyes and big hearts desiring to make a difference in the world and just were ran up against the world as it really is, how profoundly broken, how tangled these situations are. And uh, along the way, probably made some serious mistakes, saw some of their best efforts 
not just fail, but perhaps even be counterproductive. And so I, I feel like when we grasp that from the from the start or perhaps midstream, we realize it and, and recalibrate, you know, first of all, perhaps most of all, it gives us a humility. It helps us understand, you know, we are not going to wait out and fix all the world's problems, but we can bring a presence of Christ, the presence of grace and hope and healing into broken situations. And so I think that realism is is one of one of the biggest things that prepares us to know that even some of the situations that are broken when we enter, they still may be broken when we leave. And yet hopefully we could bring, we have brought a light and hope and joy into those places. And if if that is our, our sense, then um, we can really take joy in seeing the, the good fruit that's there, even if it is not the kind of the, the comprehensive macro solution that sometimes you hear being uh, discussed in, in the um, the conferences and the boardrooms of, of organizations rather than on the front lines where, where things get really messy really fast. Yeah, and on that, in, in the context of the the orphan care, the person that's getting involved in orphan care, um, you had another talk, at, I believe it was last year's summit, that you talked about the, essentially the four phases of a person, an orphan care advocate. Uh, can you Can you walk us through those? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I would say that these, I've experienced this myself, and, I, and it's not only orphan care. You know, I think we really feel it here, but it's uh, people that are involved in prisoner reentry and, and dealing with homelessness and addiction issues and fighting malaria around the world. Uh, all these issues where, um, you know, I, I described the, the first phase is, is waking, where there's a, a beginning to understand all around us, perhaps just what was just beyond our field of vision, uh, is is great hurt in this world, and the the, the God we serve as as Christians calls us to engage those things, and so we we become passionate about that, and and that waking is a beautiful thing to see when you see someone who's who's kind of lived a self-absorbed life up to that point, waking to that need. Uh, that is that is a beautiful thing, and often that waking, if if we follow it forward, if we come and decide to respond to that and begin to get involved, we we enter a phase I, I call cheerleading, where we 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 it's not enough just that we get involved; we want others to get involved. And you know, we know that maybe people have failed in the past to solve these problems, but we really believe that our solutions are better. And if just enough people can care and enough people can get involved, we're going to solve this problem. And so we become cheerleaders for everyone to get involved. But ultimately, over time, as we serve and we wade deeper and we begin to realize how deeply difficult, how broken these situations are, it it can lead to disillusionment. Um, We just, we begin to realize, man, many of these solutions, we thought we're going to solve it all. Uh, They're not going to solve it all. And in fact, sometimes we realize they may even have been making matters worse. And um, we see, you know, people that we tried to help or communities that we were hoping to elevate continuing to mire in some of the same struggles or or perhaps come into new struggles. And and so that disillusionment can cause us to become embittered. And some people just walk away entirely and choose to to completely, um, you know, just go off to some other work. And and others keep keep serving. But but really the light and the fire and energy has gone out of their eyes, their heart. Um, and some become really bitter about it. They, they, you know, start writing snarky blog posts and criticizing others who are, who, who are now, you know, enthusiastic and out there trying to make a difference. We become critics of those people. And so, you know, a lot of folks, Phil, that I've, I've seen actually just get mired kind of permanently in that disillusionment. Mm. Um, but I would say that there is, 
are some who who persevere through that to what what I've called a commitment amidst complexity, um, where you know we know it's complex, we know we're not going to have all the answers, we know we're not going to solve it all, and yet we remain committed to continue to serve, to continue to work for the good of of those around us, and and to to to, to bring bring light and hope into hurting situations, even when we know it's not all going to be fixed. And so, you know, ultimately, Phil, that's that's where I pray that. That I will be that, that those of us who care deeply about orphan care and adoption, all of us will will press forward into that place and by God's grace continue to serve with a commitment amidst complexity. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And I, I just uh, recommend if you didn't get all that to go ahead and rewind that part and uh, listen to it again because it's it's very powerful and and so true. And I've I've seen it. Myself and I, like you said, I you know we're all kind of in the midst of that as well, and and really with this podcast, we're hoping to provide um, almost a bridge from the disillusionment to that commitment amidst complexity, and we're hoping to be a part of that for people to be able to really work through these issues, which are so difficult. And I think that you said also in that talk that a lot of people kind of get in a cycle from disillusionment to the cheerleading. Is that is that am I remembering that correctly? Where they yeah, they, that's right, that's right. You know, I, you know, for instance, I think of, you know, some people that perhaps become cheerleaders for adoption. And then over time, they realize, hey, it's really complex. You know, some kids who, um, you know, perhaps were considered for adoption, maybe they would have been better served in other ways. And, and so people become disillusioned with that prior solution that they saw as a one size fits all solution of adoption. And now they become passionate for family preservation or family restoration. And that becomes their drumbeat and they become cheerleaders for that. And they look down on people who are pro adoption and they, you know, see their new solution as the thing they're cheerleading for. And then again, they, they hit disillusionment because they get out there and they're reuniting families. And some of these kids they reunited then are sexually abused back in their biological mm-hmm. families or other things like that. And they, then they become, you know, disillusioned and embittered all the more rather than saying, you know what? Adoption is a solution for many children, and we need to work to, to adopt kids that truly need it. And family preservation is a solution for some kids, and let's do all we can to preserve families or reunite struggling families. But that's not going to be the solution for all. And, you know, and so I think that's when you, when you get to that commitment amidst complexity, you're, you're in the place where you see value in each of these different potential options. But the, the fact that each of them have weaknesses and blind spots as well. Yeah, and that's something that I think everyone I'm talking with about this, everyone that I've talked with about this process, the, the people that have really been thinking about it at deep levels, that are really, uh, like I said, engulfed in the messiness of it, realize that, that, that there isn't one magic bullet, that we really do need to see it as a case-by-case determination, a child-by-child determination of what is best. And it could be a mix of things, or it could be one particular thing, but there isn't one right answer that works for everybody in every culture, in every setting. And, uh, you know, that's something that... You also said during that talk that really the the only one thing that it can bring us truly to the commitment amongst complexity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, why did you say that? What? Why is that? Well, Phil, I, I just really believe that, that the gospel, the core truths uh, that we find in the gospel, both prepare us for the world as it really is and then help us persevere amidst the world as it really is. So, so for instance, you know, one core truth about the gospel is that the fundamental problem with our world is not just um, these external things, uh, bad people out there, bad systems, but part of the problem is inside of us, inside each of us, you know, including 
me and you, Phil, you mm-hmm. know, and and so if if we go into um, serving and, and seeking to care for orphans, we know that we're going to have blind spots. We have a certain skepticism towards our own enthusiasm. We have a skepticism towards our own big solutions. And we, we know that while part of us is probably motivated by just a pure desire to help others, part of it, us is motivated by a desire for our own reputation and, and, and things like that. And so that, that, of course, is just one facet, uh, but it prepares us well to enter with humility, uh, a recognition that some of our assumptions are going to be wrong, that some of our motives are going to be mixed, uh, a, a need to listen well, to be continually learning from others, even people we really disagree with. Mm. Um, the gospel prepares us with that kind of humility to, to enter and continue with a listening and learning stance. So that's, that's just, of course, just one facet of it. But I feel like in many other ways as well, the gospel prepares us with the things we need both to enter well and wisely and then to persevere well and wisely. Yeah, and that's, that's so powerful. So powerful. I agree fully with that. And the before we get into the last couple questions, I just want you to be able to tell people how they can get connected with Christian Alliance for Orphans, where they can get information about this. We'll also put this in the show notes and with any other references and and sort resources that you have for the for the listener. But how, how can they just get the general information and get involved with the, with the Christian Alliance for Orphans? Yeah, well, um, you know, of course, the hub is, is the website, CAFO.org, um, and all the different initiatives are housed there, you know, whether you're focused on uh, advocacy through something like Orphan Sunday or research, um, the monthly webinars. Uh, you can you can sign up for for announcements about those. Uh, the KFO blog, which you know see, seeks to keep abreast of some of the major developments in the field. Um, of course, Phil, I would you know always invite people to summit because that's just an mm-hmm. unforgettable experience of of this movement of you know both Christians from from all over the U.S. as well as all over the world who who love. Uh, orphaned and vulnerable children and love Jesus Christ and want to live that out well. Um, and so so that's a great place, you know, both to connect and to learn. But like, as you said, throughout the year, um, there's so many different things to plug into, to grow, to learn. And that that's all really housed at the uh, CAFO.org website. Well, great. Well, as we finish up, I got a couple last uh, questions for you. The, the part of the show that I'm going to be calling the speed round for our guests and uh, today, here's the two questions for you. Uh, what have you read or listened to in the past year that has most impacted your thinking on the issues surrounding orphan care? Well, you know, I, I feel like, um, the, to be honest with you, Phil, there's a number of books I've read that I've, I've felt have been very good. And I, I think um, reading the latest research coming out of both, um, you know, a lot of different camps that approach issues from different angles. I, I really appreciate Dr. Charles Nelson and, and others from Harvard that are doing the Bucharest study in Romania that really emphasize and explore the damage that's done to children when they're, they're not exposed to family-based care. But at the same side, you see a lot of researchers finding things that would seem in contradiction to that. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, just reading research from a lot of different angles um, and you you begin to synthesize it and realize the complexity of it, that that's meant a lot. But but to be honest, for me, Phil, it's it's been spending time with young people um, and young adults who have grown up without families and also those who, who have found meaningful relationships along the way. And just hearing their stories has, has really been the biggest thing, especially over the last year, but 
over the last decade as well that has really helped shape my understanding of these things and the needs of every child um, and, and ultimately, you know, where God calls his people to seek to serve and to, to fill in the empty places of the heart that are left by those wounds. And I think that's something that's, uh, again, is so powerful that the amongst all the research, amongst all the experiments, amongst all the different things that might be able to happen to teach us stuff, it's really in that relationship um, that we really can dive into these things at deeper levels that, that you really can't get from, from words on paper. Um, yeah, but I'll, since you asked, Phil, just so I'm not appearing to avoid your question, a book <laughs> called How Children Succeed, um, a, a great exploration. It's, it's not focused just on orphan care. It's actually kind of uh, ostensibly about education systems in the U.S., but really, it, it really drills down to the fundamental things that children are wired for, what what they need to do well, to thrive in life, and um, it very much uh, is very relevant to uh, orphan care and, and uh, foster care adoption, all those things, how children succeed. I'd highly recommend it. Well, great. Well, we'll again put that in the show notes uh, so people can, can pick it up on Amazon or wherever else you get your books. Um, the last question for you, what one person has most impacted your thinking on how to best love and care for orphaned and vulnerable children? Well, Phil, there's been so many people who I feel have, have just poured good things into my life, mentors and others, and great examples of families who are serving kids so well. Um, but if I was to, to boil it down to one person, I, I think that I might say my friend, Jesse, Jesse, uh, just a remarkable man. He's in his mid-30s now. He, he spent um, a good portion of his childhood in foster care. And um, today, he, he's dedicated his own life to serving vulnerable kids. And he, he's a truly inspiration for me because amidst the great hurt that he has experienced, he he really sees that as you know something that inspires him to serve. He doesn't see that his place of hurt as just only a wound to be focused on, but as actually the place where he draws inspiration and strength to serve others. But he also expresses very clearly that even in his mid-30s, he would still love to have a family. He says, you never, never outgrow the need for a family. And he shared with me how holidays are, are so hard when, when you just don't know for sure if there's anyone that's going to invite you to come and be with them on those holidays. And, and so, you know, it just he's, he's an inspiration to me as well as a, a reminder uh, of the ways in which every one of us is wired for deep relationship. We need the love and nurture and belonging of family. And so for those who, who don't have that or have lost it for various reasons, um, all of us are called to be that, to be the source of love and nurture and protection for people both as children and as adults when they're growing up or, or facing the world without family. Well, this has been such a pleasure, Jed. Um, I just... Uh look forward for the listener to be able to hear this and I just thank you again for your time today uh, well thank you Phil I really appreciate this uh, this podcast I think it's just going to be a great resource for people all over great well have a great day bye bye well I know I had a great time uh, in that conversation with Jed and, and again as always with Jed I learned a whole heck of a lot um, and I know that our Organization Providence has learned so much from CAFO and from the summit, from the website and all the resources they have on that. I encourage every one of you listeners, go to the website, learn about it. If you're able to go in early May to, into Orlando for the summit, strongly encourage that as well. If you're not able to make it, definitely join them in the future at some point because I know you will walk away from that experience learning a whole heck of a lot and meeting some great people who are your companions 
in this work. But Kelly, I just want to hear from you a little bit of, of what you learned from that uh, conversation. I loved how he defined some terms for us. I think that is so crucial in discussing orphans because we hear such a vast variety of numbers and some of them are incredibly large and kind of overwhelming. And so I think it was really um, important for him to kind of dial that in and just discuss that. I know as an adoptive mom, um, some of how I have viewed an orphan or defined an orphan has been radically changed over the last five years of our journey. And so I'm I'm very glad that he was able to do that and for our listeners to be able to hear um, some more about just what an orphan is and the numbers that we really have around the world. Yeah, and those are constantly things that to define the terms, to really understand what we're talking about here, it's so critical. And, you know, Jed, of all people, knows that because he's talking with people from a lot of different organizations about a lot of different things. And I think he's hearing different, you know, the same words being used different ways, as am I and as you have, like he said, being just in the adoption world as well. Yeah. And I think he was able to say, if you can't define it correctly, then you're not going to have solutions that are truly meeting the needs. And I think that's that's very important to remember in any kind of work um, with populations that are that are vulnerable around the world. Definitely. Well, thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed and learned a few things. We hope you will join us and download our next episode where Phil had a chance to sit down with Peter Greer, an expert in orphan care. Please, please, please join us on our Facebook page or at thinkorphan.com where we would love to hear your comments, answer any questions, and just hear from you. Also, don't forget to go rate our Think Orphan podcast on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. I hope you have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. Think Orphan.